Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? It's uh, hard to be bad right now It's in terms of uh, where I'm at right now. I'm currently in Florida, enjoying weather that's not freezing cold, ice, mm. snow, sleet. So, uh, you know, happy to be here. Uh, not really doing a whole lot, given the COVID restrictions, but I'm happy to, to just be in a place where um, it's not totally bleak and uh, like <laughs> time. So, hey, the South is just better. I I think that's just an established fact. Yeah, I I've always told my family I'm like one day I'm gonna move down south. I don't know where, but it's just there's just something about it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have you in Tennessee. Uh, it's it's it was a sunny and 55 day uh, here, so it was a great great day to ride. Good. Yes, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, well, yeah, so we are back after Christmas and New Year's. Hopefully everybody had a fun and safe uh, holiday season. I think everybody's probably trickling back to work and school at this point. Um, I'll be headed back to school next week, um, which is not super exciting, but I am excited to be able to get back to running, whether it's cross country or indoors. And um, I think we really have indoor season really starting up next weekend yeah well really for this upcoming weekend i mean on saturday i think there's gonna be a couple meets and then i think really teams on that 16th are really gonna you know get going a little bit and start competing but i i keep waiting for these conferences to like make these announcements and don't be wrong there's plenty of conferences that have like oh we're not having an indoor meet and some that i know are you know not yet official but eventually will um but even then though like you still cancel the indoor meet these these athletes are still going to be able to compete. And I'm now thinking like, man, I, I think we're actually going to have an indoor season and how that actually coincides with cross country. I, I almost just can't believe I, I really thought there would be more cancellations by this point And I just keep waiting and I don't see them happening. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I know with Belmont OVC, I thought would have canceled by now and, and they still very well might our cancel our indoor conference. But the fact that we're sitting here, we're recording on January 4th and there's no news of that. It, it's pretty unbelievable because a lot of conferences will have their meets within the next, what, seven weeks. Yeah, and I and mean, half. we're getting pretty close, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. It is very surprising. And, you know, like, you know, as we both just said, indoor conference meets have been canceled it's it's totally possible and there's still very well maybe more on the way but you know i'm talking you know i've I've got some connections within the patriot league and my understanding is that Mm -hmm. the patriot league is saying hey listen chances are that we have an indoor conference meet probably not likely it's not official yet but probably not likely but they're still going to let people have indoor track meets they're still going to do these pods. They're still going to have cross country races. They're still going to have a conference meet for cross country. So it it looks like it's happening. And frankly, if the Patriot League is actually going forward and they have historically followed what the Ivy League does almost right away, and the fact that they haven't even been motivated by the Ivy League's decision, I think is very telling about what can happen so far. So um, I think we'll we'll actually also touch on this a little bit more in the cross country side um later on but yeah surprising i I, right now i'd be i'd be excited if i was an athlete who was trying to run indoors yeah it's i think we both did not believe that there was any chance but you have to at least give it a pretty solid chance at this point we're at this point uh of the year and and it hasn't been canceled we'll see what if there's any changes with the covid cases on the rise but 
Uh, for now, it seems like they're going to go full steam ahead. Well, before we jump into everything else, we should say we did get another rating and review this past week. We were up to 105 ratings. And this kind person said, great analysis. This is the podcast to learn the who's and the what's of what of the NCAA. Keep up the great work. Uh, so we appreciate that. I, I think we could probably give everybody a, a nice intro into the NCAA distance world if they hadn't known anything before. Yeah, we are a bit obsessive when it comes yeah. to like the particular details. Like I will say, you know, maybe to our benefit, maybe to our detriment. I don't know, but um, that is very complimentary. So thank you. I, I, we do put in an obscene amount of time, sometimes intentional, sometimes not. Um, so it's, it's awfully nice to, to be recognized for that. So thank you. Um, I think more just speaks to our uh, unnecessary obsession, but it is what it is. So. Hey, every, everybody's got to have their hobby. And for us, it's <laughs> just running, right? Um, well, why don't we move on? And we're, we have some transfer and some signing news that broke this past week. Um, some big names going to some big time programs. I think we'll start off with a uh, incoming freshman, uh, Yusuf Bizimana from England, who is headed to Texas. Uh, he's 146, 800 guy, also owns PRs of 348 and 820 in the 3k but he's coming in with his full slate of eligibility and like we talked about last week the 800 is kind of wide open right now and will probably be that way for the next year or two unless somebody really emerges in a big way i I think vizuman is going to step right in and be a top scorer on a conference level and possibly a national level for the longhorns this year and for a while, if he continues to improve and keep at what his 146 PR shows he can do. Yeah, yeah, he's obviously a super talented name. You run 146 and you're coming in as a freshman, regardless of how old you are. I mean, you're going to be a problem in the future. Uh, I do question, you know, some of his indoor performances and how that mm-hmm. translates. I'm truthfully not super familiar with his indoor performances, but you're right. I mean, this is a year, or at least this this season in particular, it's super wide open. Outdoors will likely be different depending on who comes back. And now it's kind of this this thing where we look at, it's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of international young studs in the 800 meters coming into the NCAA. You've got Busy Mana, you've got uh, Alan Clay, you've uh, who's now at Texas A&M. He's another 146 guy. You've got Abduhali Hassan, who's the freshman phenom at Wisconsin running 147. Tom Dodd from Michigan, 148 guy. You start going down the list and you're like, man, there is some you know really strong talent here. I am interested in terms of A, how they handle you know, consistently strong NCAA competition, and then also how some of those performances translate to the indoor oval. Um, again, I'm not super familiar with some of their performances on the indoor track, but um, yeah, there's just kind of like a new wave, a new era, if you will, of, you know, 800 meter talents and a lot of them coming from overseas. Um, so overall, I mean, Busy Mana can certainly step up and contribute in, into a big 12 you know, where this season, it's like, I, I'm not sure who else is really going to be there given the Iowa State trio graduating, or at least out of mm-hmm. eligibility. And then, you, you know, maybe Juan Diego Castro of Oklahoma State. But off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not sure I can really think of who else would really be in that mix. I'm looking at his power of 10 right now, which is the U, the British equivalent of like a mile split. And he has some big wins on there. He has some good experience in some British championships. And, and he's run 146, 147, and 148 a few times. So there's a consistency at, at a high level 
that's already there for him. And I think that should translate pretty quickly in his first year in the NCAA. And quite frankly, like you said, with the big amount of turnover that the Big 12's experienced on the 800 side, he, he really could be one of the favorites right away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned the consistency there. And as everyone knows, I'm a big consistency guy. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like that a lot. Um, I don't really know how he is tactically, but I, you're right. I do like the the not only just his consistency, but he's shown range, right? And I think that can kind of benefit him whichever way, you know, eventually ends up in, in the Big 12. Um, but also for Texas as a whole, you want to talk about potential DMR pieces. This is a yeah. huge, huge talent because let's let's put aside Sam Worley. We don't really know what his health is like. We're not really sure what, what's going on there. But you want to take a look at like what Creighton Carosa is doing now. He just ran 359 as a freshman last year. Now you're bringing in another rookie who's run 146. You want to talk about middle distance firepower that could be really at a whole nother level in the next two or three years. Texas is in a great, great position for the DMR in the future. They're a team that hasn't been afraid to pursue the DMR in the past when they have the right pieces. And right now, I think their future is very, very bright. You know, I don't know what their 1200 leg would look like or, you know, how that would all, you know, sort out. But um, I think this is a, a key pickup for Texas from the DMR perspective. Um, and it at least allows them to remain competitive. Now, if I was Texas, you know, and I'm looking at the 800, I, I think now is obviously the best time to bring in a guy like Busy Mana. But just know that, hey, Iowa State's coming back with Darius Kipiego and Alex Lamong, right? Like Oklahoma mm-hmm. State will always find a guy to put up there. So, um, but but given how dominant Iowa State and Oklahoma State have pretty, pretty much been in the longer distances in the mile. Like I, I felt like this was the right time and the right opportunity to take advantage of some potential big 12 scoring. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to our next bit of transfer news? Brian Fay um, headed from Ireland to university of Washington. Another guy with some insane range. He's run 343 in the 1500 and four flat in the mile as well. But he also has run 845 in the steeple. He's run 1351 and 2841 in the 10K. This guy can do pretty much everything. I think he's going to fit in perfectly with this group of really good milers at Washington who can also run well in a 3K, 5K. And, and I mean, honestly, he's going to be a big, he should be a big piece of their cross country lineup when he comes in next fall. Um, we're not sure about how much eligibility he has remaining. But even if he just has one year next year, he's going to be a big help to the Huskies. I don't think I I know of anyone off the immediate top of my head who has the kind of range that he does. I mean, because when you throw in the steeplechase, that definitely changes things up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I really know. Like Stephen Fay, for instance, who was the steeplechase national champion for Stanford, I think two years ago, right? I mean, he he was obviously a great steeplechase talent, but then could he also run 2841 for 10,000 meters? I don't think so. Could he also run a four flat mile? No. Like Faye also has the 150, uh, 800 meter mark. Like he is mm-hmm. one of the most, he's one of the best well-rounded talents I can remember seeing on paper. And there's, uh, that's probably a disservice. There's obviously guys who run much faster or could do, you know, could run faster, but he is wildly talented. I mean, he fits into a Washington team that kind of needs a little bit of everything, except maybe the mile. That's probably the only thing they don't need. <laughs> yeah. um, but in terms of like the 5K, 10K, 1351, 2841, that's 
absolutely ideal for what they need. And he has championship cross-country experience. He's one of the best young uh, runners in Ireland in cross-country. So in terms of that impact, in terms of his longer distance prowess, this is huge for Washington because they, they really needed more, someone more on the grass. And, you know, they picked up some great talents and there's still a lot of guys we haven't seen yet. But Faye gives them that one last piece where I'm like, oh, maybe I do feel more confident about Washington on the in the cross country course whenever he comes and joins this team next fall. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, speaking of like how fresh he is and how the fresh re, these results are, he just ran that 10k on December 19th, um, and so that was just a few weeks ago. So clearly, he's in great shape right now. Obviously, he isn't coming over until next fall. But this isn't a guy who's has his best in the rearview mirror. This is a guy who's running extremely well right now. And, and I think we can expect that to continue into the fall next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's a very good point that you mentioned there. The fact that he's still gaining momentum and will you know likely come into the NCAA next fall with what we would hope is similar momentum. And as you mentioned, just happened a couple of weeks ago. He's already at his best. I mean, that, that's some pretty impressive stuff. And if I'm Washington, I'm extremely excited. Um, you know, we'll see. If he has three years of eligibility, or at the very least two, that puts Washington in a great position long-term. You let Dashbach, um, you know, develop. You let Culpepper develop. You let, you know, that 2019 recruiting class continue to develop. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, is Washington a team of the future? I think we kind of figured that they would be a team in the future, but Faye kind of gives them that extra boost, that extra spark, if you will, assuming that he has enough eligibility. We're still working on confirming that. But yeah, that's uh, it's a one heck of a pickup and an incredibly well-rounded talent and a true three-season threat. Yeah, and he is 22, so he is a little bit older, and whether that impacts his eligibility and maybe it's just two years instead of three. Um, but yeah, like you said, he'll, he'll be a great bridge to the really good recruiting class uh, that Washington had, and, and maybe we'll talk more about that in a bit. But uh, why don't we finish up with this last bit of news? And this this piece of news, I think, lit a fire in our Slack group because this this was a big deal. Eab Elsendali headed to Arkansas from Iona. Arkansas gets another elite transfer, 803, 1352 PRs in the 3K and 5K respectively. But the kicker, he was 41st at NCAAs in cross country, just one spot off an All-American finish. And the rich just keep getting richer. The Razorbacks pulled in a huge transfer class with Amon Kemboy, Jacob McLeod, Luke Mead, Andrew Cabet. I'm probably forgetting about somebody, but now they get an, an effectively an All-American on the cross course who makes them even more dangerous going into this uh, winner's cross-country season and if he sticks around the fall of next year as well. Yeah, so he'll be coming in in the fall of next year. Oh, right, um, yeah. Right in the fall of next year. So, you know, I don't know if it's going to, you know, yeah, he won't be coming in this winter ultimately. But let me set the scene, right? There I am. I'm one of three guys. I'm Cole Bullock, I'm Walid Suleiman, and I'm Mario uh-huh. Garcia Romo. I'm coming back from my run. I'm feeling good. You've got what you just saw was one of the best top threes in the SEC this past fall. You're in line. You're one of the main contenders to land Shea Foster, a 2840 guy, right? That 
you're looking at what may be a closer to a complete lineup. You got Cade Bethman coming back to be healthy. Michael Cho- Cochia, you know he can be better in the future, right? You start to get kind of confident about what your chances are against Arkansas. And then they just come in and say, oh, all these guys, yes, yeah, sorry, we forgot about one more. And it's Ihab El Sandali. It's the 27th ranked runner in our preseason cross country rankings. And I, if I'm, if I'm Ole Miss, I throw my hands off. I'm like, what more do we have to do? What really? What more do we have to do? And it's just they keep. I just keep thinking of Ole Miss because they're a really, really good team. They're one of the few teams that have somehow figured out to to have the better firepower than Arkansas. Well, at least based on a few races that we've seen so far. And now that they have to deal with another All-American candidate, depending on who comes back next fall, but let's assume everyone comes back next fall, it's just ridiculous. Now, Yihab Sandali, I think, further solidifies Arkansas's place on the podium. Do I think it puts them in the national title category? I, I would say that it's clear that they're going all in for the national title run. Do I think that they are national title favorites or, you know, can, you know, would I give them a good chance at being national title winners? Not yet, because I think that Elson Dolly kind of falls into that same, you know, that same group of the Cabets and the Boyts and the Kemboys and the Chibosans, where they're all just kind of, you know, McLeod, McLeod, whatever his name is, you know, where they all just kind of mesh uh, in there in that top five, top six, top seven. I don't really know how he'll step you know, how he'll, he'll, how he'll separate himself just because everyone's so talented and so deep on that roster. But man, I mean, still, it is just another transfer for Arkansas. And if I'm old Miss, I just, I, I'm borderline defeated. I mean, m- maybe, maybe emotionally, and maybe that's unfair for, for all Miss, but I'm, I mean, like, man, I just can't catch a break. Yeah, that's a great point about Ole Miss, but I I think what what you were saying about the national title picture, I agree with you that about their odds might not be the best, especially when you're going up against NAU um, and BYU, maybe even that picture as well. But at least you're in the conversation now, right? And if you're in that conversation, then a podium finish seems extremely likely. And as we saw last year, if you're at least in the conversation, crazy things can happen and you can pull out the win. BYU and Colorado were probably the only two teams even in the conversation for the national title in 2019 besides NAU. And NAU slipped up a little bit. BYU had a great race and BYU suddenly were the national title winners. And, and I think that's at least what the Elson Dolly transfer does to Arkansas puts them further in that conversation, whether or not that gets them anywhere that, I mean, I, I don't think that's extremely likely with what NAU has built, but at least they're giving themselves a chance. If something crazy kind of happens. What I like about this is that it's a clear, like, you know, we're going all in, right. Or we have at least a shot, no matter how slim some people may think that shot is, we're going all in. Like, this is the time. And, you know, we were talking before this. It's like, how did they find the scholarships to keep bringing in these guys? Like, it's incredible. Um, however, they've allocated that that money. But regardless, regardless of how they did that, it, this is the time. It's like, you know what? If this is one of the best guys that we can get and we think we can land him, let's do it now. Let's give ourselves, you know, let's. 
at the very least, let's try and say, well, we did everything we could with the pieces that we had. And, you know, I, I commend the Arkansas coaching staff for that. That is, you know, if you want to put yourself in position, you got to make moves. The NCAA has grown increasingly like NBA free agency. And if you're not willing to go out there and spend, if you're not willing to go out there and recruit, if you're not willing to go out there and get game changers, then it's it's tough to kind of be putting yourself in the top position. And, you know, Arkansas has put themselves in a position where they will at least have a chance to contend for the national title. There's some teams who can't say the same, who I would say, you know what, you probably should have gone after an Ehab El Sundali kind of, you know, kind of guy. And maybe they still will, but Arkansas at the very least is not making excuses for themselves. And, and you know what, I can firmly appreciate that. I, I was actually going to bring up an NBA reference too, because when you were talking about going all in, it reminded me of the Chris Paul trade uh, that the Rockets made at, at the peak of the Warriors' powers when they yep. had KD and Steph and Clay and Draymond and everybody else in the league was looking at them and being like, well, they're going to win it this year. We're just going to punt and see what we can do next year and a few years when they, they break up. And I feel like a lot of teams could look at NAU in a similar way and be like, you know what? They got it this year. They just got Nico Young. They got all this talent still. Grijalva is going to be back another year. You know, we're just we're gonna we're gonna take our chances and, and see if we can have our core ready in two or three years. But Arkansas, like Houston did when they traded for uh, Paul to to pair with Harden, they're going all in. They they see a chance, even if it's a five percent chance, and they think that's good enough to go all in, like like you said, and, and give them that chance to maybe dethrone the Warriors or NAU in this case even though they're at the peak of their powers. Well, or even the Philadelphia 76ers, where they <laughs> traded for Jimmy Butler and Tobias yeah. Harris, right? And they went all in and were just like, all chips on the table, we could win. If it wasn't for a miracle triple bounce run you know, by Kawhi Leonard, yeah, you know, then, then we'd be maybe talking about a different story here. But ultimately, you're right. And that's kind of what it is. Like, teams are going to sit back and just wait for NAU to graduate when – there, there really isn't – it's not going to be for years now until we yeah. really consider any team really being at NAU's level right now. So I, I can appreciate what Arkansas is doing. Um, and, and it's still – like it's not totally out of the possibility. And again, we're talking about next fall, but it's not – totally out of the equation when you start matching up one-to-one some of their runners like yeah you'd still say NAU has the edge and you'd still say that NAU is the better overall team like Blaze Farrow is 13-39 runner and he still may not even be beyond the you know, their seventh ever. runner yeah it's just it's insane but Arkansas now has a case where it's like we may have the most complete top seven after NAU in the NCAA mm-hmm. right now so it, it's very well the case All right, well, that was enough about Arkansas. Big news on the transfer front there. But why don't we talk about the recruit rankings that we just released on the site? So if you want to go on the stridereport.com, we have D1 men and women's rankings, and I think we just came out with D2 rankings as well. So if you want to take a look at where your favorite team uh, landed on that list or your favorite high school runner where they landed, um, check that out. But Garrett, I, I just wanted to, we can bounce around maybe a few different teams, but we I'll start it off with this question. What team improved the most after this year's freshman class? So, so maybe not the team with the best class, because as we've seen with the Arkansas transfers, you can get the best transfers, but maybe you don't improve yourself the most. But which team really went from 
good to great because of their freshman class. Yeah, and I think at least on the men's side, for me, the most obvious one I, I'd probably have to say is Princeton. You know, mm-hmm. like Texas A&M was a middle distance powerhouse. And the reason that we, we had them ranked is because they brought in a 146 guy and a 149 guy and a 152 guy. And I think <laughs> like another 150 guy, like, you know, don't get me wrong. They had, you know, like plenty of strong longer distance runners. But the point about Texas A&M is that their middle distances kind of carried them, carried them through there. So uh, when I take a look at what Princeton though has done, they were already a significantly young team, but they are going to be losing some key veterans in the future, whenever that may be. And now you add in a class that has like four or five guys that are under 15 minutes for the 5,000 meters, like established names. And Matthew Farrell, I think is just a total stud. Um, I just think he's he's exactly what they need. And we already saw how well Princeton can do with younger runners. And now you bring in another recruiting class that is arguably just as good or can be just as good. I think Princeton is now separating themselves from being fringe national qualifiers, top of the Ivy League, to a team that can truly eventually be one day one of the best cross-country teams in the, in the country. So, you know, I'd, I'd go with them, I think, there on the – uh, men's side and then on, on the women's side the obvious answer here is just North Carolina like it's it's so evident by what they brought in and how we saw them run this past fall with all their freshmen like you just have to take a look at what we saw this past fall and it's clear that UNC is at just an entirely different level do you think California Baptist might have a, a shout there for the women's side too yeah, I mean, that that's a fair point. I do think it is kind of crazy when you kind of take a look about like some of the talent that they yeah. brought in. I, I think the, the difference with them, though, is that they add women who are all kind of – I see them all as like a ton of pieces that are all about equally the same. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the athletes that they brought in can be or should be or will be just as good as all the current athletes they have now. What I need out of California Baptist is who's going to be your low stick? Or can right. you have two low sticks? Can you have people that were – if you were eligible, you know, competing at the NCAA championships because they're moving from D2 to D1, so they're technically not eligible for NCAA competition yet, but – I think when I see that from California Baptist, I'm thinking, okay, where who's going to be the true star of this class? And it might come in the middle distances for them, but I'm still waiting to see, okay, where's the key differentiator that's going to bring you a spark in a large meet and give you that edge? I, I don't, I'm not saying that it, it, they don't have it, and I'm not saying that they won't develop it. I just don't know who exactly that's going to be right now because I think it, that this recruiting class meshes perfectly with the current group that they have now. I just don't know in where they're going to find that spark. So I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and when you're looking at someone like North Carolina, like you mentioned, Sasha Naglia, right away we saw her make a huge impact and be that kind of low stick that you were mentioning as a freshman. Um, and then the rest of their freshmen were also pretty impactful throughout the year. And in a lot of ways, we we thought they were better at times than the NC State freshmen. Obviously, they were without Tui and Starlipper. Um, but their performances, I think, made North Carolina's ranking even that much easier to put them at number two and, and to to say like you did that they probably improved their team by far the most. Yeah, I mean, it's really, when you take a look at it on paper, I mean, even the, the results are just so, like, even if even if no one else had done it, right, and it was mm-hmm. just Sasha Naglia, like, Sasha Naglia alone yep. makes this group 
just that much better. Um, they just they just have one more option. Um, now, granted, obviously, she's not the only reason why this team did well. A lot of the freshmen did well, but it's it's not only that. It's like we didn't even see all their freshmen run this past fall, and they were still fifth in the in the ACC. And, and truthfully, you kind of look at it, it's like they could have been as high as second or third. So I I think UNC is the clear obvious favorite there. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of think that's that's the case. Um, I, I'm kind of like looking through a few of the other ones we were looking at, and I think there's a few others that we didn't even mention, but as far as our rankings are concerned, I think UNC's the clear favorite. On the men's side, I agree with you on Princeton. I, I think you could make a, a little bit of a case for Virginia as well. They obviously got a lot of good contributions from their freshmen throughout the right. year, um, not maybe to the same high level as uh, like North Carolina on the women's side, but I, I think they really bolstered the surprising Virginia team that we saw this past fall um, and were a big reason why they were much better than we expected. And while I think Princeton will, ob- those runners will make a bigger impact when we do see them. I, I think for now, I, I, I've been very pleasantly surprised with what Virginia's freshmen have been able to do for their team as a whole. Yeah, and absolutely. And and they're another team, as we saw this past fall, where it's like, I don't know if Virginia is going to be as good as they are without this freshman class. Um, it, and I think that's just the truth. Like, I think even Virginia is like looking at like what they did this past fall and they're like, oh, like if we didn't have West Porter, how good are yeah. we? If we didn't have like Kellen Hassell or, you know, how good are we? Now, granted, they didn't have Peter Morris, huge piece. Right. They didn't have Colton Bogucky, potentially a huge piece. So, you know, it's a little bit different there, but I mean- you want to talk about a team that I think beat expectations, especially given everything, everyone that they lost, uh, they're up there. And I would throw in Wisconsin as well, just because, mm-hmm. you know, I think they've rebounded well with a couple of older veterans, but in terms of the future and in terms of the supporting pieces that they need, bringing in that recruiting class, like Oliver Pauline and, uh, and, uh, liking, uh, I forget his first name. And, um, Oh gosh, Evan Bishop. And they had Caleb Brown, yeah. who's currently on the transfer portal, but not there anymore. But even if you take Brown out, it's kind of like, uh, they, they might have one or two guys who could kind of fit into that varsity cross country role fairly quickly. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. So another question, what what notable observation do you make when we were doing research? And to let everybody know, there was a lot of research done for this list and for these rankings we wanted to make sure we came as close as possible to building a perfect list and the team at tsr did a great job of compiling every single recruit from almost every single team that we could find um and so there's going to be little uh nuggets that you we all found while we were doing a little bit of this research so so i'll pose the question to you garrett what what little maybe one person that stood out or one team that kind of flew under the radar that, that you were surprised by when you're doing research. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the Ivy league did a quietly great job at recruiting this year. I mean, you just take a look at like the Columbia women, for instance. I mean, that was one where I was going through it. I was like, wow, they're surprisingly strong. You know, they've got women who, you know, are great in the middle distances. They've got well-rounded dynamic talents. You know, they're, you know, they're, 
Foot Locker National qualifiers and four, you know four time Manixin qualifiers. Like Columbia women were great. Princeton women, you know, while maybe not quite as deep, I think arguably just as much firepower, just as much balance. Um, you know, I I was just quietly impressed. I think Harvard had a few decent names as well. I you know we only looked at a, a handful of well we looked at all the Ivy League teams, but we only documented you know, a handful of them. And the ones that we did, I was really impressed by the Ivy League, especially on the women's side. Obviously, Princeton men were strong as well. I think Harvard probably had a pretty decent class on the men's and women's side as well. Um, overall, I thought Ivy League did very well. Surprisingly, excuse me, surprisingly well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I was looking at a lot of the SEC schools and while they didn't, we didn't have a whole lot in our rankings, I thought a lot of the like, teams that we saw maybe surprise us a little bit like the Kentucky men uh, maybe even the Tennessee women I think they had those kind of teams had pretty solid classes not top 10 classes they weren't they didn't have like maybe the top tier talent but I thought they just brought in some solid contributors who as we saw with Kentucky the Kentucky men this past fall I mean if we did a freshman ranking just based off of performances in the fall, the Kentucky very well might have been in that close to that top 10 because of what they got out of a lot of their guys. Um, and they're now set up really well for the future. And I, I think the SEC had a lot of those classes where they're, you're starting to see these, besides the Arkansas and the Ole Miss and like those kind of top tier teams, you're seeing other more mid tier like Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, those kind of schools and Alabama is probably in that top tier as well. But you're seeing schools like that kind of slowly build to a point where they might hit this point where they're suddenly in that top tier. It won't happen this year or next year, but I certainly could see that in the next three or four. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you make a great point in terms of like what the SEC is doing. And we've already seen the SEC, mm-hmm. you know, have some really strong performances as of late. I mean, the SEC quietly putting together some great teams. Um, and you're right. It's, it's goes just beyond the old Miss and the Michigan, uh, the, not the Michigan, uh, Arkansas, excuse me. I'm getting all my M's mixed up today. Um, but yeah, I, it was overall, I think this was it was a lot more difficult. I think in past years, you look at, okay, which teams are the top 10? And maybe there's two or three that maybe could have been in the top 10. But there were truly, I mean, extensive yeah. number of teams. I mean, I think you could argue, I think we said six to nine. I think it could arguably have been 10 or 11 teams mm-hmm. that really had a legitimate you know, argument in there. Um, so, and, and actually just feeding off of that, you know, who was the team? And, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but who was the one team that you were looking at, you know, men's and women's side where you're like, man, we, we didn't rank them. I, I, I mean, there's so many good options here. I, honestly, like one on, on the men's side that I was, I was having a tough time grappling with the fact that we didn't rank them was NAU. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously they brought in Nico Young, um, and they've brought in some other top talent, but with it goes to show that how deep a lot of these top 10 recruiting classes were that NAU could get probably the best runner in the country and still not be in that top 10. Yeah, I mean, you add in, it's really, you take a look, it's Riley Uman, Riley Uman, I don't, I, I don't know how to say that, sorry. 
um, Gomez, Prosser, uh, Jordan Black, and Nico Young. And really, it's like you add in Jordan Black's 1455 5K mm-hmm. PR with Nico Young, and it's like, oh, that's that's some spark. That's a scoring potency. But I think the reason why we didn't include NAU is like NAU could have not had a recruiting class this year and still yeah, be, and they'd be fine. <laughs> national. Right, and they'd, they'd be fine. Like, And it admittedly, it is a little bit Nico Young-centric. Right. You take a look at a group like Princeton, it's like, okay, well, they have like five guys who are on paper faster or not faster or just as fast or faster than Jordan Black. And so it's kind of like, well, it's tough to balance that all out in terms of what you need there. Um, yeah, NAU's up there. Um, I, I mean, for me, Air Force, Air Force, the men, that was a brutal one to lead off. I, there was a deep class. They were well-rounded. They added pieces that they desperately needed. They got like four guys, three guys who had run under 15 minutes for the 5K. And the ones who didn't, it was Eli Bennett has run like 855 for 3,200 meters. They got called Lindhorst, who's a huge name. Connor Olson's one of the best cross-country runners in the nation. Like, I, it pains me because Air Force should have, I, I just... I wanted Air Force in there so bad. I, I really thought that they had a chance. Um, and I started going through the list. And, and honestly, like in retrospect, maybe they could have been over Oregon. But like we, we've done this a thousand times where we just kept like debating back and forth and just talking in circles. And that was that was tough. Air, leaving Air Force out was tough. I, I truly believe that, you know, if they weren't top 10, then they're certainly number 11. Um, and then on the women's side, Penn State. Yeah. I thought Penn State, I mean, you want to talk about, we're, we're very distance oriented, I think, when we talk about distance events. But when it comes to Penn State, I mean, a 205 runner, 208 runner, 209 runner, and then, you know, all these other women who are like in just at 18 minutes or un, under 18 minutes, you know, for 5K. Um, it's just, it, it was a little tough to leave them off. And, you know, a ton of women who were, if you weren't a middle distance runner, then, you know, you had a strong 3K PR, a strong 3200 PR. And, it was tough to leave some of these women off. Um, so Penn State was a tough one. Georgetown, another strong middle distance group of recruits there. So yeah, I, I had a tough time leaving off the the Georgetown women and Penn State women. But um, those were those were some tough decisions. I I wrote this. I'm like, we. I don't know. I don't know if we're doing the right thing here. But um, I think it was as close as it was going to get. So it was a, a tough decision for sure. I, I kind of felt the same way about the LSU women. I, I don't know if they were as close to our top 10, but they same kind of deal. They brought in a 206, 207 uh, runners. They had some state champions in cross country come in as well. Um, a few sub 18 girls um, and just really deep. I mean, even if they didn't have a ton of top tier talent outside of two or three names, they did bring in just a lot of solid contributors who could develop. And I, I mean, you're, I'm looking at how many they brought in. It's like almost 10, 11 women who can all come in and develop for LSU. And, and when you have those two or three really strong ones up front, you can just really bank on maybe one or two from that other group to come through in a big way. So I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we stress too much about putting them in the top 10, but I, I was very impressed with LSU's uh, women as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I think they were a great team. And like you said, the depth really kind of, the depth paired with that kind of like, ooh, these, these women could mm-hmm. provide a spark. Like it all of a sudden, it makes you think it's like, well, 
wait, so then what separates them from this team that we're ranking? Right. And, and and you're right. I, I don't think that LSU was quite there yet, but they had a quietly great class. I still would have put a few other teams ahead of them. I will say the men were harder to figure out than the women. I mm-hmm. do think you know there were a handful of women's teams that probably deserve some attention. But yeah, that was tough, man. I, I, I'll just be straight up. I like the recruit rankings the least out of all the rankings <laughs> that we do. It is so impressive how much everyone comes together and all the amount of research that we do. Like you, you can just go through this list, man. It's rows of rows of rows and rows of like multiple columns, like of, of data. It is wildly impressive. Some of the work that our team did, like you, I mean, I was looking at the D3 data the other day. It is wildly impressive. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm super impressed by all the work that our team did. It was it's one of the most impressive things when I take a, like a scroll through our data and think like, man, that's just like, I can't believe that everyone took that much time out of their day and actually did this. So uh, kudos to the team. I mean, it, it's, it's hard, hard work. Yeah. Very, very impressive by everyone involved. Um, but why don't we move on to the mailbag? We only got a few questions, but um, we can hit these real quick before we finish up. Um, we touched on this at the beginning, but percentage chances of an NCAA cross country championship in March. I, I mean, I don't. I think it's probably higher than the indoors, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it has to be just from a COVID logistics standpoint. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't happen at this point. If if programs and teams haven't made a decision, then why not? You know, so I, I think if I had to give a percentage chance for it, I'd probably say 80% right now. I I don't know if that's maybe too ambitious or too low, but maybe, maybe should even be higher, but I'd say probably 80, 85. Yeah. I was thinking 80 to 90. I think you, you have to put in that 10 to 20% just in case things like change obviously throughout this year we've had big dramatic changes throughout the year and that's still a possibility but what we know now and the trajectory everything's on i I think it's hard to say that it's not gonna happen at this point right yeah i think it's it's definitely greater chance than it not happening that's for sure um you know like i i you take a look at some of like the conferences that have canceled competition for the it's all almost always their indoor conference meet it's rarely mm-hmm. the winter cross country like the big west has canceled their winter cross country competition um the ivy league it looks like they have as well so they're you know it's out there but it's not so much the point where it's not like the ivy league all of a sudden has the same influence right every right. back in the fall ivy league shut everything down and everyone followed and now ivy league shut everything down and we're and everyone's kind of looking around like wait, why are we following the Ivy League again? And, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone really had a good answer. Um, now, obviously, you know, there's a pandemic. It's always good to be safe. But in terms of the logistics and, you know, being able to host meet outdoors, like this past fall was a very clear sign of like, well, it seemed to work, right? Seems like everything worked out pretty well. Maybe there's information that we don't know, but it seems like it worked. So, We'll see what happens. If basketball is happening, then I struggle to believe that some form of indoor track or cross country won't happen. So that's where I stand. Agreed. Which school, given a few years, could you guys see reaching an NAU level of dominance in distance? Yeah, see, this is a tough question because you need a couple things to go your way. 
um, you need a to have consecutively great you know recruiting classes, which NAU has. Um, and then you also need the history and development and like some crazy good luck to also happen your way. On paper, like Princeton's that class, like a great recruiting class last year that should prove to be very effective. Great recruiting class this year, which we think is going to be very effective. But are we really confident that Princeton's going to be at an NAU level? I, I don't know about that. Um, Notre Dame, you could, you know, like on paper, they should be there, but it's more, it's much more staggered, right? And it's more trying to figure out, you know, which guys are going to be pieces for now. Um, I think you can maybe argue NAU at the very least. I don't know if anyone's going to be at the powerhouse that NAU is, but Notre Dame, Notre Dame on paper and in theory, given everything that they should give everything that they should do. I think they're the probably closest comparison to that. Yeah. Notre Dame was kind of the one team I had circled for that as well. I, I think you could talk about BYU. Uh, if they have a strike a rich patch of recruiting, then possibly, I mean, they always are going to have a like stable level of excellence throughout the next few years. You would imagine. I think you could maybe talk about Stanford or Portland, um, even if they get a good run of luck and recruits, like you mentioned. Um, but it, it is so hard to imagine anybody getting to a point like NAU, where you mentioned Blaze Farrow, 1339 guy, is like right on the edge of that top seven. It, it's hard to imagine we see another team quite like that. Yeah, I mean, this these come once in a you know, two or three decades, you know, mm-hmm. like this doesn't happen a lot. And really, you know, if, if NAU doesn't have that weird fluky cross country, and I'm not saying that BYU's win was a fluke, but you even had talked to the BYU guys that ran in that Jacob Peslington's like, yeah, I gave us a 30% chance. Yeah. And I think I was the most optimistic guy. Like shout out to you, Ben, for getting that quote. But you know, like even BYU will admit it's like, yeah, NAU was the favorites. Like on paper, they were the, you know, they, they were supposed to win that. And I think if they don't win that, like, excuse me let me yeah let me rephrase that if any of you wins that then you know like we're we're not thinking any less of them so right and we certainly don't do now but it's a tough thing where it's like i don't think you can just replicate nau success but um there there will be teams who and maybe at least build up to you know maybe winning two national titles in three years or four years or whatever it yeah may be. yep Absolutely. All right. Last one. So how about them Sixers, baby? Yeah. Yeah. Number one in the the East right now. Um, I'm currently about to go watch them after we hop off this. And then, uh, gosh, so like it's the most insufferable group chat that we have between the Milwaukee Bucks being great and like three or four of our writers being from the Midwest. You've got John with the Suns who are now at the top of the West right now, or at least they were at the top of the West, I think as of before last night. And then you and I, of course, with the Sixers now being at the top of the East, we'll see how long this lasts. Um, not confident that it will last very long. But all I'm saying is that I think the Nets had like a three and three or three and four record the last time I checked. And KD's out for the rest of this yeah. week. So uh, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we'll, we'll see how the Suns do on the other hand. But yeah, Sixers have been, it's just been so refreshing watching them play like real basketball. Oh, it's so nice. But yeah, it, it's been incredible. And I think you and I are on different sides of the should they trade for Harden. But regardless, it's been super encouraging to see them actually have real shooting around Simmons and Embiid. Yeah, um, it's 
like Seth Curry and Tobias is playing. The style that Tobias plays now is just, yeah. Tobias actually looks so, good. It's, it's a like Christmas miracle. It's like I'm like you know I love Brett Brown. I love Brett Brown because I thought I was like, yes. he's a great guy. I love him, but mm-hmm. now I'm looking at what competent coaching looks like. I'm like. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this looks a lot better. I I can understand that. So. I think competent general managing might be the the better better tool well, right there with Daryl Daryl Morey's putting a lot better pieces well, yes. around them than whatever the collaboration and Elton Brand did. Yeah, uh, okay, fair enough, but you also look at like what, you know, Tobias is like he's quicker yeah. off of his attack right he's not dribbling the ball he's not trying to work around making he's making quick yeah. decisions quick shots like he's not just like playing around with the ball now like it's it's very clear that his game in terms of how he's approaching it is wildly different and i don't think daryl morley is just like okay well tobias just play quicker i think that's doc rivers you know yeah. so i you know we'll see i also like that doc doesn't you know, need Ben Simmons to shoot threes. I'm like, yeah, you tell him. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But I think I think we might disagree there. No, I I, I I don't I don't want to hear it. He's great defensively. What we lose defensively in Ben is, I think, a lot more than people realize. Yeah, but you have an Embiid, and any defense with Embiid is at least average. And if you have Harden, then defense wins championships, offense. Ben. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. We've we've strong we've gone too long about the Sixers. We we might just have to do a Sixers centric podcast if if they yeah. ever actually do anything uh at a high level. That would if if they get deep in the playoffs, maybe we'll just rip off a random bonus episode. Um, but that wraps it up. Thank you for the mailbag questions. Um, I think we're about to get really busy. As we've mentioned, uh indoor season is probably about to start. Cross-country races are probably coming in the next few weeks. I know we're debuting in 20 days. Um, So buckle up, get ready, read all the Stride Report previews, read our rankings, because you're going to need it when all the action starts flying. I have been, I thought I was going to be relaxing while on vacation. I have I can't remember the like the last time I've been like okay we need to write this we need to write that what are we posting today oh my gosh I got to edit this article like I it's just been a plethora of content which was is so much better than where I was you know before Christmas where I was like oh my gosh what are we gonna write um so yeah ultimately though super excited we've got between cross country and indoor track we quite literally have two seasons to cover d3 recruit rankings are being wrapped up those are hopefully coming this week we'd expect them to come this week but we're working on indoor track rankings we're well indoor cross country rankings we'll you know maybe address that a little bit closer to the start of the season when i think that's on the 23rd of january but ultimately so much coming your way. We're going to have real results to talk about soon. I don't know if anyone can hear the giddiness in my voice. It's <laughs> I'm so excited. It's so exciting uh, to actually have like real results to write, uh, write about. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, we're just going to have January is going to be a plethora of content. And uh, I could not be more excited. Well, I, I don't think there's a better way to wrap up than that. Leave us a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. But uh, like Garrett said, it's going to be an exciting month. So get ready um, and we'll be with you every week to walk you through it. Um, But until until we talk next week, see you, Garrett. I'll talk to you.